Our sermon text uh, for tonight comes from Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. It reads like this. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Father, I pray that you would shine your light here tonight so that we would clearly see Jesus. I ask this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good evening to you. I'm glad for those of you who could make it back here today. I know um, uh, for some of you, or a good number of you, uh, we took the trip out this morning. We got together at 7 in the morning to go out to our sister church, Hillside, New Jersey. And so, and then there were, there were others too. And I think um, everybody is sort of tired that, that made that trip right now. So I'll do my best. I, I, I wrote two sermons for the week I'll do my best to keep you engaged as we go over this text tonight. Uh, so I want to ask you, I mean, have you ever had in your life what you would characterize as a mountaintop experience? You ever, you ever had a mountaintop experience? Maybe it's the day that you found out you were accepted into a certain school, or you got the job that you maybe, just maybe, we're looking for forever and you finally got it or maybe she said yes and you ended up getting married i mean it's it's those times in life where it's almost like you've been ushered into a place of such happiness such joy such glory that you find yourself wanting to stay there forever oftentimes for christians the mountaintop experiences are those times where god seems to make himself so present to us that it's as if we're experiencing him face to face. It's as if we're having this grand moment of glory. For me, many of my mountaintop experiences occurred as a teenager at a camp called Alpine in Southern California. It was in the Southern California mountains. And, uh, you know, there was just the music and the friends and uh, the messages. There was just something about all of that. Uh, that would lead to at least one moment during the weekend where we felt... Or at least I felt like my desire to walk with God was stronger than ever. The worries had gone away and the desire to rebel wasn't there in the moment. And so there's a sense in like the mountaintop experiences of our life. Like we kind of, we, we look for those, we're eager to have them. But there are potential pitfalls from those experiences on the one hand, I've met any number of people um, who seem to view virtually any 
Um, moment of heightened emotion in the Christian's life, i.e. mountaintop experiences, with great skepticism and suspicion. So as a result, even though they won't deny that God can work in our emotions like this, they sort of functionally reject it in their response to it. So this is the kind of Christian that's more prone to stoicism and not wanting to acknowledge that, yes, emotions were indeed created by God and there can be good things that happen to them. And yet on the other hand, and this is without a doubt I think the most problem, our most common problem I see, there are those that constantly need the mountaintop experience in order to feel like their relationship with God is going well. So if you're not always on this sort of emotional high all the time, or experiencing something that seems divine, that you maybe just kind of go, well, I, I wonder if God's abandoned me, I wonder if I'm not walking closer to them, what's going on? And so as a result of this, you can either fall into despair because you can't quite recreate that one time that you remember or you start adding all sorts of strange stuff to your worship of God in order to make it sort of whoop up the emotions. And I've seen both things in the churches I've pastored. And so we need to have a proper understanding of these mountaintop experiences, which is indeed exactly what our text is all about today, uh, if there was ever anybody that had a mountaintop experience, it had to be Peter, James, and John. Not only was it just them praying with the Lord, with Jesus, but right there they get to see a glimpse of Jesus as he is in eternity, heavenly in his glory. His clothes become bright white like lightning, and Moses and Elijah, of all people, Moses representing the law of God, Elijah representing the prophets of the Old Testament, both show up from the dead. I mean, they, these people were dead and now they're back. I mean, this is the, the most sort of glorified heavenly experience a person could have. And so we have to admit, yes, these experiences can and do happen. But if one reads the gospel accounts, we see that experiences like this, in fact, aren't the norm. They're not the norm for... Jesus' disciples either. Most days, Jesus' disciples didn't have a place to lay their head. Most days, gigantic, needy crowds followed them along looking for food and for healing and for any kind of help they could get. They were hated by the religious leaders all around them, and it wasn't as if Rome was friendly to them either. I mean, they, they, you know, they, they had a lot of pressure. And yet tonight, tonight, just this moment for just a little bit, it's different. Jesus takes them to the mountain. So why? That's the question I want to ask or answer for us tonight. Why does God give us those mountaintop experiences? First thing, to confirm to us. Specifically, the answer to the question of who he is. Now, uh, twice in the chapter from our text, uh, Luke uh, chapter 9, before this passage, the real identity of Jesus is questioned. Once by Herod and once by his disciples. Herod in verse 9 says, who is this? And then the disciples in verse 19 tell uh, us that people have all sorts of interesting answers to the question. Maybe Jesus is John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Maybe he's Elijah. They have all sorts of interesting understandings. And who shows up on the mountain to speak with Jesus? Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. In other words, Jesus, by giving the mountaintop experience to his disciples, is revealing to them, this is who I really am. I am divine. And the same is true for us. When God gives us this wonderful type of experience, he is confirming to us, maybe for the first time, maybe again, 
as rare as these experiences might be, who exactly he is. It can be easy to forget who we serve in the day in and day out. Sometimes it may seem as though God is distant or we may even wonder if we're following the right God. After all, I mean, how many religions are out there that claim to get the truth, you know? Maybe it's easy to get to the point in our daily lives where we find ourselves doing what the disciples were doing in verse 32. They were sleeping. So Jesus, knowing this about us, that we're prone to forgetting who he is, occasionally will give us unmistakable experiences to jar us awake, to stir us again, to confirm to us his glory. Might be singing during a worship song. There have been times here where we've been singing All I Have is Christ, the song that we just got done singing, and I have felt this emotional high as we sing sung that song. I've had something like a mountaintop experience. Or maybe at the Lord's table, or maybe during a time of prayer as you're struggling that something like this happens, or maybe during the reading of the Bible. Peter, James, and John, they never forget what they saw that night. Jesus wasn't a mere man. He wasn't God. Uh, He was God in the flesh, and they were experiencing him right there. What God is saying to them and to us is, don't forget who I am. Don't forget who I am. Now that leads to the next point. The second thing he's doing is correcting them. Uh, By this point in the story, the disciples are wide awake as they realize what they're seeing. It's natural that they... uh, want to stay, right? So Peter blurts out, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents. Let's make three homes, literally in Greek, tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then Luke adds, not knowing what he said. Now, at first glance, it doesn't look like there's really anything silly or wrong with what Peter's saying, but scholars and commentators will point out what's really going on here. Peter wants to preserve the glory by building tabernacles for each of the three main participants. He is a true theologian of glory at this moment. Peter does not want to move to what lies beyond. And isn't that just like us? Don't we want to stay where it seems glorious? Though Jesus has promised that our lives will indeed be full of cross-bearing and difficulty, we'll have suffering in this life, that it's just part of existence. When we're given a glimpse of the glory that awaits us, we don't want to go back down the hill where real life and struggles with sin await. One of the ways this, I think, manifests itself in my life is a tendency to look back. To look back and to think, oh, if it was just like this time, if it was just like that time, if I could just go back to this place, then things would be better. When you're tempted to stay in the safe place, in the easy place, it's when the voice of the Father shows up saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him, follow him, not just on the mountaintops, but into the valleys. 
In other words, listen to what he's saying. What was he saying? What does the text say that Jesus was saying? In verse 33, we're told that he, Elijah, and Moses were speaking of one thing. They were speaking of one thing. Quote, they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, the word there for departure in Greek is quite literally the word exodus, okay? Now, what's he going to accomplish in Jerusalem? He is going there to be crucified and rise from the dead and thereby bring about the true exodus out of slavery for mankind, That is the one thing they are talking about. Of all the things that they could be talking about, the cross, the cross, the cross. What are we to listen to? What are we to remember in this life that first before a crown of glory arrives, there may be a cross? But the purpose of Jesus' coming was not to give us glory permanently now. On top experiences uh, is to comfort us. If you go back to the very beginning of our passage today, you will read these words. Verse 28, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James went up on the mountain to pray. Why is this statement significant? Because Luke purposely connects the reason for the mountaintop experience to the sayings Jesus said eight days prior. What were those sayings? Quote, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Think about what Jesus is promising to the disciples in the context of the passage. Right before the event that we're reading about tonight, he is telling them he's going to die. Right after that event, they are going right back into the world of of pain and darkness and sickness and death and disease. They are going to need all the encouragement they can get. They need confidence that in the end, everything's going to be okay. And so not always, but sometimes, Jesus takes us to the mountaintop to remind us that the sin and suffering and darkness that we face here is not the final word. Sometimes it's helpful to read the stories of saints who have gone before us. Sometimes it's helpful to read their biographies and to hear what they've gone through because it it encourages us. It can give us a sense of, it can just remind us that what we experience here isn't, isn't it. One of my favorite stories is about the preacher and evangelist named Dwight L. Moody. He was, he had cut short, uh, in December of 1899, he had cut short a, a crusade in Kansas City, and he had returned home to his home state of Illinois in very bad health, and 
So Moody told his family, I, I'm not discouraged. I want to live as long as I'm useful, but when my work is done, I, I want to be up and off. I want to go. To, I want to, I want to go. He was ready. He was, could tell that the end was coming near. And the next day, Moody awakened after a very restless night, and in careful, measured words, he said, quote, Earth recedes, heaven opens before me. His son, Will, concluded that his father was dreaming and delusional. But Moody said, no, this is no dream. Will, it is beautiful. It is like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. One day... There will be no more valley. If you go on to read in the rest of the chapter of Luke, it's a fascinating thing. Jesus shows his heavenly glory and they're sort of blown away by it. Wow, this is amazing. You know what happens next? They walk down the mountain into the valley and the first thing they come across is a boy who's demon-possessed and is shaking himself with seizures, injuring himself. And the disciples have no idea what to do to help this man and his boy. They needed the mountaintop, the reminder, that's reality. That's what's coming. In order to face what was down below. And so it is that God every once in a while is going to take us up there. Thank, thank, thank God. To confirm to us his identity, to correct us, and to comfort us. But I want to close with something very important, and that is I want you to know that you don't have to wait for an event to experience the mountaintop. Because here is the objective fact for you. Jesus climbed another mountaintop for you called Calvary on which he was crucified. The objective fact, in fact, is Jesus died on that mountaintop for your sins. The objective fact is that he rose from the dead for your eternal life. The objective fact is that he ascended into heaven from another mountaintop, and today Jesus is on his throne, now in glory. The objective fact for you who believe is that Christ is with you now by his Spirit the objective fact is that Jesus has forgiven you, has empowered you. In Christ, you always have the mountaintop. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, Help us enjoy our days, Father, as you walk with us. In the times where we feel stuck in the valley or in the times where we are singing in victory from the mountain. Wherever we may be, let us remember that you are with us. And that you'll never leave us nor forsake us so we can be strong. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.